Man, I still can't get over the fact that seeing you in real life and it's your big flappy mouth hole that makes noise. (laughs) (laughs) That just makes it sound like I'm a disgusting person. (laughs) Like a flap with like a flappy mouth hole. Like a sarlacc or something. (laughs) Walking sarlacc. I hope that wasn't your school nickname. Mm. (laughs) Okay, good. That would have been awful. So, Sam, yes. uh, let's do some... Coups? C-O-U's. I realize I cut the bit where we explained what coups were oh, right. <laughs> from the other show. <laughs> Corrections and omissions and... What was it, you? Updates. Updates. Yes. Yeah, see, my uh, my cut-happy sensibilities came back to me. <laughs> You're really trigger-happy with that cutting. <laughs> I am. <laughs> so, I listened to the Nerdist episode with Jason Alexander that you talked about last week. Mm-hmm. It was very interesting. I didn't realize Jason Alexander is not his real name. Yeah, isn't that amazing? I don't know why that's amazing. Yeah, but I'm still like, wow. Uh, something green, G- Greenspan? Gene, Gene Greenspan. <laughs> that is like the dorkiest name. Yeah, and he was trying to get Jason Scott, but there's right. no spelling of Jason <laughs> Scott that wasn't taken. And I hadn't ever realized that the... You know, the Actors Guild of America has, like, a master list of actor names. Yeah. And if one's taken, you're shit out of luck. That's that's the same story as uh, Michael Fox, Michael J. Fox. Michael Fox is already taken, so he's like, okay, Michael J. Fox. The main guy in Walking Dead, Andrew Lincoln, is British. And that is not his real name either. Huh. But I don't think he changed it for duplicate reasons, because his real name is... Oh, God damn, I always forget it. It's something ridiculous. It's like Andrew Cobblebum, something like that. <laughs> yeah, Andrew Lincoln just sounds so much cooler. Right. Andrew Bumpaddle. Andrew, what the hell is his name? Bumpaddle. Oh, Butter. Clutterbuck. Clutterbuck, that's it. <laughs> yes. Oh, my goodness. That is a name. Andrew yeah. James Clutterbuck. Yeah, I think the first thing that I saw them saw him in was uh, Love Actually. Right. Yeah, that's a terrible movie. What? Oh, come on, that's, terrible. that's so what? terrible. It's like one of my favorite movies. But he's really creepy in that movie. Well, um, <laughs> right? he's like a stalker and then she falls in love with him. What the shit is that? No, she doesn't fall in love with him. He wasn't really stalking. He was just kind of pissed off because... Okay. He really liked her. Well, that that was the creepy part, that he kept okay. his love for her so secret. And that song, what is that song as well? That song, the Christmas is all around me. <laughs> yes, it's amazing. <laughs> Bill Niley singing that, that it, like he's totally offbeat and just like fumbling through the words. It's so good. I guess, I guess it's a movie, it's a British movie for non-British people. Uh, Mike Carey probably wrote it. Getting back to the Jason Alexander episode. Uh, yeah, all the, the negotiations around season nine. Yeah, wasn't that crazy? You just realized what fucking assholes the networks are. Right, they were going to... Like, what a... Such a horrible... Like, what an awful industry to be in. Yeah. You know? And I remember, I remember at the time thinking, yeah, those actors were kind of greedy. Like, who gets like a million dollar per episode, right? Yeah. that Like, that's the headline mm-hmm. that you see in the media. It was the same with Friends as well, I imagine, yeah. wasn't it? Like, they were asking for, you know, whatever mm-hmm. per episode. And it was like, geez, so greedy, who wants that? Right. And the thing is, the thing that really made it clear for me was like, if they weren't going to get it, it's just, it was going straight to the pockets of the the executives. Yeah, which, like straight into the studios, yeah. yeah. Which, you know, they don't do really any work for the show. So that, yeah, that was super interesting. Uh, I do have some complaints. Okay. I really dislike the presenters. Oh, the Chris Hardwick? I really did not like them at all. Like, mm. I, this is the first Nerdist show i'd listen to mm-hmm. and they're quite a big deal right they were bought for like some millions of dollars by espn or some entertainment conglomerate mm-hmm. no they were really awful interviewers and they were just interjecting interrupting talking over jason alexander the whole time <laughs> it just drove me crazy right um i was like shut the fuck up like you are not interesting and they go on this huge detour about alf for like 15 <laughs> minutes in the middle of the show <laughs> But that was so good. Like, I love Alf. <laughs> I don't have the cultural context to love Alf. So right. I was just like, this is, what the fuck is this? <laughs> I mean, I know what Alf is, but that was not interesting to me at all. 
There was also this sexist overtones that I really didn't like. Hmm. At one point, one of the guy one of the guys asserts that women are more likely to spend money on fortune tellers. I was like, uh, what? And then there's like these bits, this like recurring joke where they're yelling at Katie to look up things on the computer. Just taken in those two things in context just seemed, made me really uncomfortable. Right. That did not endear me to this show at all. I think, I think it comes from their like stand up comedic background where to them, a podcast is more about just like comedians sitting together and just shooting the shit, which means a lot of interjection. Right. Yes, I can see that. A yeah, lot it's of like, I do perhaps like this is the first of their shows that I've heard. Mm-hmm. So I don't have that context. I was more like, oh, here's an interview with Jason Alexander, but he doesn't get to talk too much because these other guys are yelling over him. Right. Yeah, it is a lot about them also getting their bits in, which is unfortunate if you're not used to it. Yeah. But my biggest complaint. <laughs> oh, no, that wasn't your biggest complaint. <laughs> oh, no, not at all. <laughs> They drop a fucking massive spoiler for The Walking Dead in the middle of the episode. Oh, shit. <laughs> With no warning. Actually, oh. and saying spoiler warning two, two milliseconds before the fucking spoiler is not a warning. Right. They said, how do you feel about spoiler warning not being <laughs> <laughs> So that's it. Sorry, Nerdist, you're out. Right, but you know, like, by the time that I got to season five, which I think it's what it is now, I suspect everyone's going to die. Yeah, how do you feel about The Walking Dead? I think it's still very good, but it's just exhausting. There's no beginning and there's no end. It's just middle the whole time. Mm -hmm. So I can see how it's interesting, as Jason Alexander was saying, like, it's interesting as a character study and, like, how do people react when they're put in these crazy situations? Right. But as a story you're like well how is this going to end right where is the end i don't even see how and the thing is like every good zombie movie has that section in the middle where either they get replenished with resources and then things are going well and it's nice and pleasant Mm -hmm. and it sort of gives you like a nice breather before like shit gets real again yeah in the first season i felt like they had that they had those moments right where they go grab the bag of guns exactly you know and you feel like okay this is a win for them and then it's sort of like goes takes you on this roller coaster especially with like the later seasons like there really isn't a moment like that mm. i think it's kind of my that's my one of my issues with the hunger games why it never really grabbed me it just seems mm. to be just endless misery right on misery and i'm like well this why am i watching this yeah. <laughs> this isn't entertaining at all yeah the hunger games is uh is i have issues i have separate issues about the hunger games well, but well, yeah for the walking dead like rick and this that his party his like main core party like they haven't had like a break in a long time yeah like everyone else seemed to have like a little break whether they were spoiler alert yeah oh sorry (laughs) (laughs) yeah Yeah, i'm still uh beginning of season two like episode two or three so yeah that was my experience so yeah thanks for that recommendation sam (laughs) Jeez. (laughs) now i understand you may have taken up one of my recommendations that's true i did hear uh an episode of four colored nerds dear white people yeah i think i think uh, i'm a fan of Brittany loose Yes, she's awesome. Yeah, I am. Yeah, I'm hooked. I started also listening to The Sampler. (laughs) Yes, I listened to the first episode as well. Yeah, I just heard the second episode today, which Uh, is all about... Denzel Washington? Denzel Washington. (laughs) Which is awesome. I'm kind of annoyed because a guy makes a podcast about Denzel. (laughs) (laughs) I'm kind of annoyed I didn't have that idea myself. (laughs) Two guys. And all they talk about are Denzel Washington and Denzel's movies. Oh my gosh. Yeah, why did I not think of that? (laughs) I re- highly recommend Brittany Luce's podcast. And then her mom on the uh, on the first episode of Sound Oh my God, that was so good. Because <laughs> I was sort of thinking like, oh God, how is this going to end? Right. And then she just totally owns it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, she didn't, she didn't miss a beat. I've also heard that you have an injury. Yeah, my, my new hobby um, has come back to bite me that I've injured <laughs> myself knitting. Okay, but first up, it's not an obvious one. I think people would think straight away, like, needle in the eye. Right. You know, needle in some part of your body. Uh, no, it was not that. It was actually slightly more boring than that. So when, so when you're knitting, you've got the, like, the row you're knitting into in your left hand. Mm-hmm. And then the right hand is, at least the way I'm doing it, which may be clumsy and stupid, but the right hand does most of the work. Yep. The right hand is pulling the previous knit off your left hand onto the right hand needle and then looping around the the yarn and i had i woke up after you know not knitting for that long maybe like i don't know a half hour 
and like the whole like my top top of my shoulder was just in severe pain <laughs> and i really and, and i was like that's so weird and it took me and i just didn't think any more of it i was like oh that's weird maybe i slept on it then i didn't really knit for a week it went away and i was like yeah. oh, okay that's uh, you know i just kind of stretched it out with the gym and kind of took it easy and then saturday I go do some more knitting for like the first time in a week. I wake up on Sunday, and this fucking shoulder pain is right back. Like, <laughs> and I realize that like when I'm knitting, like my whole of my right right side like tenses up as it's doing, <laughs> yeah. as it's like looping the yarn over, and I'm kind of like in a weird asymmetric hunch shape, mm-hmm. <laughs> like hunched over, and that's and that's it. And I was like, oh my god, that's ridiculous. So, so yeah, you're not you're not <laughs> resting your right arm. Yeah, like it's all it's like tensed up and then like the shoulder tenses up. You're just floating your entire arm as you're doing all the knitting action. Yeah, right, right. I wonder if having like an armchair would help so you can rest an elbow. Mm, I think that could work quite nicely. Yeah, I've I've uh, got a little arrangement of cushions on my sofa now. So Right. Uh, but yeah, so that's an embarrassing injury. <laughs> so yeah, I got injured by knitting. I'm pretty sure if you looked at looked up uh, shoulder pain from knitting... I was thinking that. Yeah, there's like tennis, tennis elbow, knitting shoulder. Knitting shoulder. We have been reading The War of Art by Stephen Pressfield. Sam, did you get the audiobook of this or did you read the Dead Tree version or the Kindle version? So I actually got the Kindle version. Is there an audio version? There is. So for some strange reason, the Kindle version had the audio accompaniment. So I didn't have to spend any money on Audible to actually listen to the the audio version so i would trade off from reading the book versus and does the kindle keep place with you yeah so with the audiobook uh, that's pretty awesome if you're listening to the if you're reading the kindle on my phone and you play the audio it will flip page in time with wow. the audio pretty cool because there would be some sections where i would want to read it again and if i went to the previous page the audio of that page would start from the beginning of the page and then I can just follow along and like if I wanted to go back, I can actually just flip forward to it. Really effective. And the guy had like a really soothing voice. Was it the actual author? No, speaking? it wasn't. No, okay. Yeah, it was definitely okay. an actor. Yeah, I think that's that's still my main concern with this, the audiobooks is, as you've noted before, if you get a bad narrator, then it's just the whole thing's ruined. Yeah, that's true. Shall we try and do a three by three by three again? Yes, let's do a it. System. That, that kind of worked quite well, I thought. Yeah, the three by um, three. So I have read this book before. Mm-hmm. So I was coming in like a second time. So I kind of had some pre-existing opinions. Yep. And then, but I'd forgotten most of what's in this book. Or at least I'd forgotten the details. So if we want to do a brief, a brief synopsis of this. Right. Why don't you do that since I did the delightful Mike Carey book? So this book goes through as a system or at least a, a way of thinking uh, that Stephen Pressfield has developed about how he gets his writing done and how he overcomes the obstacles and the things you kind of put in front of yourself to stop you doing the things you want to do, be it writing a novel writing some music becoming a painter it's i mean it's definitely geared towards the creative fields Mm -hmm. right i mean even the the subtitle of the book is break through the blocks and win your inner creative battles right so it's definitely geared towards that so in this he suggests that there is this this force called the resistance the capital r Mm -hmm. and that is kind of working against against your true self and kind of gives, this is the source of your sort of fear and procrastination, the thing that's stopping you doing the thing you want. Mm-hmm. The more you feel like you don't want to do something, that's the resistance, and it's often the thing that you should be doing. I want to make it super clear, though. He doesn't say the resistance, he just calls it resistance. Uh, oh, okay. With a capital <laughs> R. Yes, okay, that's a good point. Thank you for the clarification. So that's pretty much the book. Uh, and then, I mean, this is by no means a long book. Mm-hmm. I mean, the pages are, it's what, 200 pages? Yep. No, not, not, not even 200 pages. Like 180 pages. The pages are very spacious. In yeah. In fact, sometimes you just get a half a page. He likes to have a big headline, mm-hmm. big title on the top of the page, and then a paragraph or two underneath it. It's When you're reading the paper book, it's really easy to skim over the headline because you're not used to reading you're kind of used to ignoring that part of the page you kind of lose a bit of context Mm -hmm. so that's my pro tip for this book remember to read the titles on each page (laughs) so yeah and also like a further thing like i think the book is split up into three parts like book one book two and book three and book one is talks all about resistance and what resistance is 
Uh, book two is about was it about the how to become pro? Oh yes, turning pro. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. I could. Yes. I mean, if not to jump ahead to the good things, mm-hmm. but this is where he talks about uh, the idea of an amateur and a pro, mm-hmm. and that's not necessarily that's not actually uh, if you earn money from right. this endeavor or not. It's, it's like turning up every day. Yep. Yeah. It's like you've got this. This is your job. You turn up every day. You do the work. You know. You don't. You don't focus on the glory. Mm-hmm. It's about about the grind right let me read let me read you one of my favorite quotes oh yes please do um it's about the it's about book two and it's when he talks about uh how a professional is patient and so i found this to be really helpful so the professional on the other hand understands delayed gratification he is the ant not the grasshopper the tortoise not the hare have you heard the legend of sylvester stallone staying up three nights straight to churn out the screenplay for rocky i don't know it may even be true but it's the most pernicious species of myth the set before the awakening writer because it seduces him into believing he can pull off the big score without pain and without persistence. So that to me actually was like a super meaningful quote because I I would, if I were to pinpoint how my procrastination started Mm -hmm. was because of this belief that if I just stayed up all night working on the thing, I can get it done with with stars, right? Oh. And so this was like super meaningful to me because it's, um, and I've always known that it wasn't the case, but seeing it written down like this was super helpful. Yeah, it's one thing to have an inkling, but somehow when you read it in uh, in print, you're mm-hmm. like, oh my God. Yeah. Oh shit, this is a thing. Yeah. Book three, which is the last section of the book, is about... Beyond Resistance, right. the higher realm. And that's that was the part which I'll be talking about in the second section of my three by threes. <laughs> I may also be joining you there. Yes. <laughs> I really like that quote as well. Uh, that was one that I, I picked out. Um, also, this is, in, uh, this is very early on in the book, uh, around page, page 22. The subhead here is resistance and procrastination. Mm-hmm. The most pernicious aspect of procrastination is that it can become a habit. We don't just put off our lives today. We put them off until our deathbed. I actually highlighted that as well. High five. Yeah, woohoo! Yeah, uh, never forget this very moment. We can change our lives. There was never a moment, and there never will be, when we are without the power to alter our destiny. I mean, that sounds a little airy fairy, but I do believe that. Yeah, he also writes something that was actually kind of contradictory to that. You know, I did have a suspicion, and I couldn't find a good example of yeah. this happening. But I was like, didn't he say the opposite? <laughs> or like, isn't this sort of different to what he said earlier? Right. Uh, if you found an example, that'd be awesome. Yep. So it says, are you born a writer? Were you put on earth to be a painter, a scientist, an apostle of peace? In the end, the question mm-hmm. can only be answered by action. Do it or don't do it. But then like this whole section, he talks about how your path is pretty much determined. Like a writer will always be like, should become a writer. Right. And that's completely opposite to <laughs> yeah. you can change your destiny. Do it right now. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That was bugging me and I couldn't quite put my finger on why. So that's like the final paragraph yeah. of the book isn't it yep despite it contradicting something i also quite liked like i think that's quite a strong ending to the book mm-hmm. so i really like the when he like embodies resistance even though it was a little bit i wouldn't say like fully alarming like the way that he portrays it as this malevolent force mm-hmm. that is yeah. just completely blind and just is out to get you and it's unique to every person i thought it was very creative but in a way it made sense to me where you know, you're right. Like, this is something that every person has to fight off like an addiction because I certainly felt that way as I'm currently battling the ways that I procrastinate. It is like this force that you have to deal with on a constant basis. Yeah, I feel like I've sort of, I think I've got better at it. Mm-hmm. I don't have that problem so much anymore. Um, right. I just more, I think I more have like bouts of profound productivity and creativity. And then I have you know, uh, weeks of nothing. <laughs> right. So that doesn't see, there seems to be a different problem to procrastination. I do, yeah, I don't know if that's something I can explore in future, but uh, he talks about like territory and like you owning mm. your territory. That kind of spoke to me quite a lot. The territorial orientation. I thought that was really good. That whole section yeah. was just really good. We humans have territories too. Uh, Stevie Wonder's territory is the piano. Arnold Schwarzenegger's is the gym. When Bill Gates pulls into the parking lot of Microsoft, so you can see when this book was written, uh, <laughs> uh, he's on his territory. When I sit down to write, I'm on mine. Because I do get that experience mm-hmm. sometimes where I'm like, 
fuck yeah, this is this is what I'm this is what I'm good at. Um, this is my wheelhouse. Yeah, and that's a really interesting way of framing what you're working on and your place. Right. And I think it, it, yeah. it, to me, it goes a little further in saying like, you can claim a territory by giving it more practice. For Arnold Schwarzenegger, the reason why the gym is his territory is because he's constantly working at it at the gym. And so I think this can totally apply to if you're a painter, you know, your painting area is going to be your territory because you always have to go in there and practice. And he talks about mm-hmm. this in like some, uh, in another section where th- when he talks about like the difference between an amateur and a pro, you know, pro just keeps working at it. Like he makes that place his, whereas, you know, an amateur is going to be like the weekend warrior where he comes in and does something for a little while and then like leaves. This just further, you know, makes makes that a little bit clear and saying like this is your territory like you have to be super familiar with it uh, i think he says this a bit later on um if you're all alone on the planet there's no one to impress so if you still pursue that activity congratulations you're doing it territorially right this is where he's talking about the difference between hierarchy and territory mm-hmm. it's strange i can't find a, i couldn't describe it nicely for you but mm-hmm. i sort of understand what he's where he's coming from yeah like i think it's more like the concept of doing things for other people rather than like doing things for yourself right trying to work us way up the hierarchy yeah of other people whereas a territory doesn't belong to anyone else right. it's yours alone i really like his writing style even though it was a little bit pithy I'd say it's very strong in terms of like his emotions for it. You know, if you're going to write something like this, like you should write it that way. He does know how to choose the right words to really clearly exemplify the subject that he's talking about. And I did appreciate every on like very rarely on like small occasions, he'd put really contemporary examples, you know, and Mm -hmm. I think it was also really nice to hear him use words like fuck and shit and motherfucker. Yes, frankly, who doesn't love those words? (laughs) When you're making a point. That's why we have an explicit rating on this show. A lot of the examples, like especially when he talked about resistance is procrastination and he talks about the internet. I was like, oh my God, that's me. (laughs) (laughs) I did also have some problems with this book. Mm -hmm. I I think this perhaps is a bit of a follow on from your last good point in which Mm -hmm. he's kind of very much his own writing style and, you know, writing from the heart. The flip side is at some points you think this man is clearly a lunatic yeah there's some bits where i was like what the fuck are you talking about right um if i may quote resistance defeats us if tomorrow morning by some stroke of magic every soul woke up with the power to take the first step towards pursuing his or her dreams every shrink in the directory would be out of business prisons would stand in- stand empty the alcohol and tobacco industries would collapse, along with the junk food, cosmetic industry, and infotainment business, not to mention pharmaceutical companies, hospitals, and the medical profession from top to bottom. Domestic abuse would become extinct, as would addiction, obesity, migraine, headaches, road rage, and dandruff. <laughs> so, so I think at the end, that's becoming comedic. Like, he's deli- that's right. obviously a joke he's making, but what are you talking about? Yeah, yeah here's another <laughs> I, good one. Um where I felt this guy is a little off his rockers. Uh, <laughs> and he's, I think this is where he's like talking about, um, he's, he's still further giving examples of resistance and how it defeats us. You know, Hitler wanted to be an artist. <laughs> right. <laughs> At 18, he took his inter- inheritance, 700 kronen, and moved to Vienna to live and study. He applied to the Academy of Fine Arts and later to the School of Architecture. Ever see one of his paintings? Neither have I. Resistance beat him. Call it an overstatement, but I'll say it anyway. It was easier for Hitler to start World War II than it was for him to face a blank square of canvas. I was like, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> like, this is just complete nonsense. Unfounded. Yeah. I mean, uh, and the bit that was really crazy to me, <laughs> if we need a third example, <laughs> is when he's talking, this is in the, towards the end of the book. Um, is it possible the, that the disease itself evolves as a consequence of actions taken or not taken on our lives? Mm. Could our unlived lives have exacted their revenge upon us in the form of cancer? <laughs> and if they did, can we cure ourselves by living these lives out? Like, what? You're curing cancer now? This is <laughs> insane. Yeah. Becoming a painter will not cure your cancer. I mean, oh my God. I can see his train of thought kind of mm-hmm. going from, you know, people getting terrible news and terrible prognoses and that spurs them into doing the things that they love. Right. But to take it a step further to say that 
that's going to cure the cancer. Yeah. I'm just... Uh, Without sorry. any scientific sorry, buddy, proof. Yeah. You've lost me. Don't, yeah, like, no. What the hell are you talking about? Yeah, my, one of my bad points was that I wish he actually gave more of his own examples. Like, I really liked it when he was talking about his everyday and, like, what he did. Right. Yeah, when he was writing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And his, yeah, that's really interesting. Like, he goes 10 years yeah. of writing without, you know, selling a manuscript or selling a screenplay. Yeah. And there's this really good part where he talks about he's been pushing it off for a really long time and he was down on his like in New York City. Mm. And one night, like he just bangs out something because he really just has to get it out on like the typewriter. And mm-hmm. for two hours, he just types out something and he realizes his shit that he like absolutely just throws it away right afterwards. Yeah. But then afterwards, as he's doing like the dishes that he needed to get done for like the 10 days, he's like the happiest that he's ever been because he was actually able to just crank on something that he he's been meaning to crank on yes i like that too i think i i've certainly experienced a similar form of like if i have some like some like a music assignment i need to write Mm -hmm. i will just write a whole bunch of ideas and Mm -hmm. not care if they're crap knowing 99 percent of them are terrible like it's just get stuff out Mm. There is something that happens when you're creating. It just leads to more creativity. It's not like a. It's not a. Not a zero sum game. You know. It's right. creativity begets itself in a way. Um, I've certainly experienced that myself. Yeah, they say like in order to start a productive day, one of the first things you should do is to make your bed. And I think that's sort of on the same principles as like you know start your day by actually accomplishing one thing. It might not be the biggest thing in the world, but you actually accomplishing it sets sets you up for a better day. So the part about the muses and gods, that's a little weird. I will admit, I did write the note. Uh, the last half lost me. <laughs> <laughs> he names all the muses. For reasons that are not entirely clear. <laughs> right. There's one part where he's just like, it's like, how do you oh, think the yes. Pentanon was created? And I was like, by people working their ass off. It wasn't like a muse that like created it. Yeah, it was, yeah, it kind of lost me. There is an interesting idea in that, you know, what does... Why Why are we driven to create things? That's possibly an interesting idea, but I don't think he delved into that clearly enough or rationally enough in this right. in the last part of that book. I think, I mean, also in that last part, he's talking about like the self and the ego. Mm. Uh, that also I didn't uh, didn't quite follow. Yeah. To me, this book seemed could, could be summed up with a sentence, learn to love the process. That's something I've been been sort of thinking about. Right. It's actually inspired me to take on uh, this one thing that I've been meaning to do, which is uh, I'm starting this project called 1000 Ninjas. I love the name already. Tell me more. So I've been always meaning to pick up drawing again. Mm. And I've been meaning to really define my drawing style because I haven't really done, done any drawing in a while. And I figured, you know, even if I draw something on a regular basis where I can come up with a thousand iterations of the same thing, it's going to improve my drawing by that much. So I figured, hey, might as well draw ninjas because ninjas are kind of cool. Very cool, right. Right? Totally. I'm going to try and draw a thousand ninjas. Do you have a time frame? So I'm also a firm believer that it takes three years to do anything right. So I'm giving myself a time frame of three years. And by the end, you'll have the most awesome ninja ninja in the world. Amazing. Long-term goals, which is what this book talks about that kind of leads nicely into our the third three mm-hmm. which is remind me what the third one is the future the future yeah what are you going to do with this uh what you've read here i'm not sure i'm going to take away any concrete things from it mm-hmm. or any actionable steps i don't think but i definitely will keep the ideas with me you know like i always consider a book a win even if i get two or three points of good bits of information from it so i think the whole thing of the embodiment of resistance is something that i'd like to read again just to remind myself like what those things are because i thought that was useful yeah it gives you a kind of handle or a way to think about the reasons you're not doing things Mm -hmm. and it's always helpful to to find out what other people are doing right in order to overcome these things and it's always good to read about them I, I'm definitely going to recommend this book to people, I think. And it's, it's nice because it's not a big, heavy tome. You're like, hey, read this. It's yeah. like 150 pages. Half of the pages are blank. It's not like you're giving them an assignment. Right, exactly. <laughs> so, oh, I got this book that's going to help you. Oh, it's a thousand pages. <laughs> yeah, and I think, if anything, it's a pretty entertaining read as sort of like a manifesto thing. So how was the narrator in the audiobook? It was good. He sounded like a, mm. like an older gentleman who had a really good speaking style. I wonder if I could play it. Someone once asked Somerset Mom, 
if he wrote on a schedule or only when struck by inspiration. I write only when inspiration strikes, he replied. Fortunately, it strikes every morning at nine o'clock sharp. <laughs> That's a pro. That was a very good clip as well. Yeah. I, yes, I'm, I'm glad you found that. That was one of the things that I highlighted. Yeah, it was. Uh, he speaks pretty deliciously. Like his words are very delicious. I'd yeah. say. <laughs> so it was. It was not that annoying to listen to. So Sam, would you care to reveal next week's? Nope. The uh, the next Fortnite's book club. Yeah. So you know, I was deciding between two books. Two books. Hang on. What's ha- what's happening here? No, okay. the two possible books that I was going to recommend. But you've definitely chosen one. I've chosen one. I've chosen okay. one now because of earlier conversations. Yeah. Okay. One of the books that I was going to recommend is called. The Nerdist Way, How to Reach the Next Level in Real Life by Chris Hardwick. <laughs> no! But I decided against that, actually. Um, <laughs> so the other book that I was going to recommend is called Essentialism, The Disciplined Pursuit of Less. I think I've heard about I think I've heard of this. Yeah, it seems to be, it was, I think it's done a circuit um, around. Mm-hmm. Right, uh, our circles. Around our circles, for sure. Who's it by? It's by Greg McKeown. Okay. Keown. Greg McKeown. I can't say it. There's some like K's and O's in there somewhere. Yeah, okay. it's M-C-K-E-O-W-N. I'll read you an abstract of it. Oh, please do. Yep. By forcing us to apply a more selective criteria for what is essential, the disciplined pursuit of less empowers us to reclaim control of our own choices about where to spend our precious time and energy instead of giving others the implicit permission to choose for us. Essentialism is not one more thing. It's a whole new way of doing everything. It's about doing less but better in every area of our lives. Essentialism is a movement whose time has come. And you know what? I think I'm going to listen to the audiobook. You are? Yeah. I think I'm going to come join you on Audible. Hmm. This might be he says, Hope, hopefully this is actually available as an audiobook. It is. It is available as an okay. audiobook. The thing is, like, I have this book because someone gave it to me, but I've never read it. <laughs> right. So I have the hard copy of the book. I think this is one of the reasons we suggested doing this whole book club was because I've got this whole freaking bookcase of books that I've never read. Right. <laughs> and if I make someone else read it with me and with a two-week deadline. Well, there's I'll pressure, like, right? Like, I yeah. need to... There is total pressure, yeah. yeah. I need to keep up. Cool. It does seem like the audio version of this book is actually pretty good, too. I'm glad you've pre-vetted that. Yeah. They, <laughs> let me read you some of the reviews of the uh, the Nerdist Way audiobook. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Buy this book. But maybe not the audible version. <laughs> Skip the audiobook. Buy the book. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's tough considering their main product is a podcast. Yeah, right. I think the part the the part that people didn't like about it is because the book actually has bullet points. Yeah, how do you convey that in the audio form? It's hard. I, I like went through this one other audiobook that just had tons of bullet points and like multiple choice tests in the book and i was like what the fuck like i was not aware of this but here's another review would have been way better if the author did not scream (laughs) (laughs) yeah okay good i think we made the right choice (laughs) let's talk about the x-files oh x-files did you watch the first two episodes i did watch the first two episodes and thank you for pointing out that we got two episodes in two days because i would have totally waited a week yeah it was really odd so they showed one on sunday but then I think its normal airtime is on Monday. Ah, that's an interesting strategy. Yeah. Did you watch The X-Files as a child? I did. How, how much of a fan were you? I wouldn't say I was a huge, huge fan. And I wasn't mm. a child as well. I believe I was in <laughs> high school. Early teens, perhaps? Mm, yeah. Uh, for me, I, I, was, I was aware of it. Mm-hmm. And like some of my friends were crazy into it. So I sort of picked up stuff through them. Yep. And I think I have watched some episodes because watching those two uh those two new episodes they do quite a few callbacks to earlier yeah things and i was like oh yeah that does happen and like oh i do recognize that guy i think i perhaps know more about the x-files than i thought i did yeah that was the thing that i really liked about it it was um it felt like i was hanging out with an old friend right i love that they use the old titles yeah (laughs) that was amazing (laughs) i thought that was like one of the best decisions like um the the classic uh intros where you know it's the, <laughs> yes. the exact same music um the same titles the same fonts but obviously it had to be redone because it's now in, in hd because i think now all all previous nine seasons are available uh in hd oh right 
not only was it very nostalgic, but it also made it a, a total continuum. It not skipping a beat. So it isn't like X Files rebooted or like X Files again or like it's season ten of X Files. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Because this seems to be interesting this time around. They seem to be doing a a kind of a monster of the week within a larger story arc, which is what they've done before. Okay. Yeah. Mm. So in previous, like especially the first three or four seasons of X Files, it'd be every one other episode would be the the story arc, which also has like a side monster of the week. But then it was very much the monster of the week, which I find yeah. it really refreshing to sort of get back to that that type of show. The other thing that I realized is like the dialogue in that show is mm-hmm. pretty well written. I don't have any strong opinions either way on it. It's funny because those, I mean, I'll come out and say it. I enjoyed those two episodes. Mm-hmm. Uh, much of the internet seemed to hate them. Oh, like, really? Really? Yeah. But like, this is the worst thing ever. Like the directing, the writing, the set design is terrible. Blah, blah, blah. What? Yeah. People were like, Yeah. Uh, this is only a very small sample of some people in my Twitter feed, so I could be blowing it out of proportion. But, huh? Interesting, because I like the the impressions that I got was that people were very happy with it. Well, not like completely happy mm. with it, where it's a it's now a groundbreaking show, but it's it's exactly what we needed from an X Files season. Yeah, we went back and watched the very first episode. Well, we watched just the first ten minutes of season one episode one mm-hmm. and it's amazing like they've done such a good job because you see because you see uh, scully meeting Mulder for the first time right. and he's in that same that room. basement room yeah and it's got the same poster that you see like the i believe with the space with the flying saucer on uh-huh. it the one that's like ripped on the floor in, the, in season 10 like, oh fuck that's the same like yo yep. that's a that's a nice touch they've done a the good exact job exact same room yeah i will watch them all I think it's interesting they un- they just completely undo the previous nine years of conspiracy. Right. Theories like by one saying. fucking episode, right? <laughs> right. Like, thanks, Joel McHale. <laughs> to go, right, it's not, it's not aliens, it's just the government pretending to be aliens or with alien technology. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's sort of... Yeah, that, I'd say that was probably the weakest thing, is how easily convinced Mulder was, like, everything was just a setup. He's been working on this thing for like 30 years under the assumption of his first hypothesis, right? And like one fucking week. <laughs> nope, that's out. Yeah. But yeah, I'm all for it. Um, I'm kind of glad that this came along because I was about to go in all in with this other sci-fi show. The Expanse? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I, I watched through five episodes and there are, they, there are some really good moments. So you're, so you're up to episode five? Yeah. I, I feel like it's a show where af- after the entire season has come out, mm-hmm. I can sort of keep on in the background and just do other stuff and enjoy it that way. <laughs> it's not, right. not really the glowing reviews The Expanse is probably looking for. It's the best show to have on in the background as you're cooking. <laughs> I watched episode eight, and I think you fi- we finally start to get some more... Like we start to get, starts to get revealed what's happening mm-hmm. and things get linked together. And we went back and watched the first episode, the first, the, the opening scene. Uh-huh. And now that makes a whole lot more sense. Gotcha. So I would suggest after you finish episode eight, go back and watch. You realize what's happening right at the very beginning of episode one. Ah, uh, I see. Uh, that kind of ties up quite nicely. I'm like, oh, yeah. The thing that sort of piqued my interest was the crazy tech that this this um, unknown party has. Yes. And that was what sort of piqued my interest in like one battle in the ship that they had you didn't get this far in leviathan weeks yeah i didn't get this far uh and then like you see some of their technology taken to action uh and you have like a proper battle with guns and stuff which is kind of exciting yeah guns and spaceships guns and spaceships in space with zero g people flying everywhere (laughs) and then (laughs) all right spoiler dies yes (laughs) and i was like oh great he finally dies (laughs) (laughs) like i I still didn't care for him. <laughs> oh, finally. <laughs> it was after that battle that I was sort of like, oh, okay, maybe maybe I will get into this. And I like the actor that plays um, the the Mormon OPA guy. The butcher of right. Anderson Station. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's kind of badass. And he's, a, he's a fun character, yeah. Yeah, so one of the things that really impressed me was the dialect that they use in the show. 
Mm-hmm. Oh, for the belters. Yeah. It seems pretty well thought out. Unless they're using like... I don't think they're using South African, are they? It doesn't... It sounds mm. slightly South African, but it's not. So, it, yeah, you're right. They may well have just invented mm-hmm. a, a new dialect, which is kind of awesome if they have. Right. Definitely a show that I don't mind as much now. <laughs> They're going to put that as a tagline on the posters. <laughs> so, will you be watching episode six? Not urgently. Okay. Yeah. I don't really have a lot of things to watch these days, so it's either going to be like the X-Files. Mm. So, yeah, you have some spare time. Yeah, or my guilty pleasure show. Uh, remind me what that is. Supernatural. Oh, Supernatural, yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's so bad, but it's so good. I also watched Mad Max Fury Road. Yeah, did Mad Max melt your face like it melted my face? I didn't know what I was watching. Mm. I, I, I've, I have seen Mad Max 1 mm-hmm. a long time ago, so it's like a really foggy memory. Right. I don't think you necessarily need to watch Mad Max 1 in order to get... Right, I was like, am I missing something here? Like, this is... I was like, what is... Like, what's the plot? Oh, I don't care. They're, oh my God, there's a guy with flames coming out of guitar. Yes. <laughs> yeah, even all the lore, I don't think it's ever fully explained as like the crazy lore that's happening where it's all about the witness me and so chromy and shiny and all that stuff. Yeah, I don't know how I felt about that movie. Um, it's still, it's such an enigma to me. So I think artistically, it's a great movie. Like I love the visuals in that movie. Every shot could be like a photograph. All the mechanical design mm-hmm. of all the vehicles. Um, and beautiful you can tell yeah. it was heavily storyboarded because like the directions that all the cars are going all leads to one way and like I think when they're coming back it all like it all goes one way you know it's and the action is super right. clear like there's a setup there's something happens and then you see the the repercussions of the action I think everything every shot had its purpose but I was still like what the fuck yeah I mean the whole movie is like <laughs> what the fuck right like what is going on in this world it's like a roller coaster. It's basically it's a roller coaster, really. It is. That just never lets up. Yeah. I don't think I would watch it again. <laughs> right. I was thinking that. I was like, why would I watch this again? Yeah, but I'm glad that I did. Yeah, so I watched I watched that movie with my dad in the theater. Wow. And my dad came out. I was like, <laughs> what the fuck was that movie? Interesting, the soundtrack was by Junkie XL. Who is Junkie XL? He now just does a bunch of movie and game soundtracks. But his most famous for remixing A Little Less Conversation by Elvis oh. under the moniker JXL because the Elvis estate didn't like having Elvis or the name Junkie XL being associated with oh, interesting. with Elvis. So yeah, he's in popular music. He's known for that. But yeah, he's, he's now doing soundtracks and stuff. So the soundtrack was pretty badass. Mm. The electric guitarist in, t- in front of the speakers with the flame shooting out. <laughs> I think his right. name was Elvis, actually. <laughs> Amazing, right? Like his character name was Elvis. Like, what the fuck is that? Yeah. I don't understand. Yeah. I don't understand. So awesome, though. <laughs> it's very primal. Like, everything is so impulsive. Like, what's the word that I'm looking for? It's very... Yeah, I don't think I know primal works. Yeah, it's primal. Like, that whole society was pretty primal, right? You have the fucking war drummers, and he, he loves women, so he has, like, all his virgins to himself, and he has, like, another bunch of women that's just making the milk that he drinks. It's... It's all very primal, you know, it's sort of like where Lord of the Flies would have went if it was like, you know, a hundred years from Lord of the Flies and they didn't get rescued. Touchstone. Touchstone. Yes. Have you been playing this too? I have. So I got to this one interesting part. Um, I wonder if you've reached it. You probably have because you're pretty insane. (laughs) So I don't know really how to describe this game. Um, I think you just have to go and play it. Yeah. So I think for me, I'm still waiting for the thing to happen. Because right now I'm just in the kind of regular gameplay. So it's it's kind of quite a cool puzzle game mm-hmm. with like a... You're like bouncing waveforms off angled mirrors mm-hmm. into got little targets. And then in Dispersed with those games, you have... There's like a NSA style... Mm-hmm. Uh, element where you have to you're reading correspondence between uh, two people uh, presumably email and then you have to mark this as pertinent or non-pertinent and then you have your supervisor known as Patriot who's giving you directions that's kind of where I'm at right now right 
so i'm like okay this there's something is gonna what happen mm-hmm. i don't know what it is what's gonna happen i feel like <laughs> right now i'm in the first the first 30 minutes of ex machina right now <laughs> right you're like, discovering the something's world. wrong yep. something's a little bit fucked up what is it i don't like it it's weird yeah help see i think it's the little pieces like that like the the clever little stories that actually drive forward a pretty what would normally be a pretty mundane game i mean the puzzle game is pretty fun yeah but it's that's all it is it's just like a puzzle game right Mm -hmm. but because of the story it makes it a little bit more special and i like little additions like that that you can tell like there's a story to be told which is um which is what i'm looking for my my only complaint which is completely ridiculous is that i don't like having to read those those cutscene or the read the emails or the correspondence <laughs> because I'm listening to a podcast. I'm playing this on the subway. Oh, right. Yeah. I like. I can't. I'm listening to people talking, but now I have to read as well. Yeah. <laughs> that's true. I, my my brain hurts when I try and do that. You have to like pause the podcast. <laughs> yeah. And then oh good. All right. Back to the back yep. to the puzzle games. Okay. Podcast back on. Yeah, that'd be the only part. But yeah, I'm looking forward to like where the story goes because I think I'm pretty much in the same section as you are. Yeah, we've now got a target right. that we are watching. And I have to mark all his correspondence as pertinent. Yeah, I meant that section as well. Okay, yeah. But uh, promising, like the level, the whole design, the aesthetic of the thing is beautiful. Right, so it's designed by the same guy who designed Ridiculous Fishing and Threes. (laughs) Okay, I've not played either of those, but I know, yeah, people love Threes. Right, Threes was huge. Ridiculous Fishing is pretty crazy. Um, (laughs) It lives up to his name. It's ridiculous. You you finished your you finished your second game of 2016. Yes. So the first mm-hmm. game I finished was The Order 1886, which I think was cut out of a couple of episodes of our recording. <laughs> uh, no, I think we left some of it. Right, in. right, right. I think yeah. yeah. When I first mentioned your name, yeah, you, we discovered you're going to name your third-born child Percival. Right. Or was it Percival? Yeah, it was Percival. It wasn't Galahad. Perhaps that could be his middle name. Or that could be the second child. The, the other child. <laughs> My other firstborn child. Um, yeah. So game two, cool. what I finished is called uh, Life is Strange. Okay, I saw you tweeting about yeah, this. Yeah, it's amazing. It's an episodic uh, game of five episodes mm-hmm. where it's a story. It's a heavily story-driven game and the game mechanics are that you have to choose like right conversation pieces in order to drive the story forward mm-hmm. but certain routes of um saying like the wrong thing can or like saying like maybe a less preferable thing would then sh- branch off to another dialogue tree mm, okay but the cool mechanic here is that your main character has the ability to rewind time and so if you okay. say something like um like if you say something wrong and say to the other person like oh man like she was a real bitch and then that person like freaks out and has an adverse reaction to it you can be mm-hmm. like oh shit and then you can rewind the time and say the proper thing um and then the cool thing mm-hmm. is uh as you're going through the conversation the first time um the person might say something uh that's sort of a key issue that you can dig into but then mm-hmm. what you can do then is have that piece of information and then rewind time and then start the conversation with that piece of information, which then sort of catches the character off guard and then opens up even more, um, mm-hmm. which is kind of cool. Okay. It's a really good game. I think the story overall is uh, very touching. Have you heard about the game that Panic is putting out? Developers of Coda? Yeah. No, that's not the developers of Coda. It's a it's a different company. It's I think you're talking about Firewatch. Yes. What does I get wrong? It's is that not Panic? I, oh, is it the the studio? Oh, like they have some relation to yeah, it. Yeah, the studio is okay. called Campo Santo, and the game is called Firewatch. I don't know if it's Panic, yeah. the same company as the guys that make Transmit and stuff. Yeah. See, I thought it might be, but no, I I have no. I have no data to back that up. Yeah, I don't think it's the same people. Okay. Um, but yeah, Firewatch is is a game that I'm really looking forward to. So pretty much the same premise, right? It's mainly like story driven, and you're piecing together puzzles of the entire story through like conversation bits. But at the same time, you're sort of like walking through this space and like discovering things. 
Yeah, and uh, I think the art direction of uh, Firewatch is by a designer that I really like. His name is Ali Moss. Mm, I saw the website and it's ridiculously beautiful. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, I believe if it's if it's available for OS ten, I might I might dabble. Um, I don't think it will be. I think it's going to be available for the PC. Oh, coming to Windows, Mac, Linux, and PlayStation. Wait. <gasps> On my birthday as well, February 4th. What? Yeah, nice. That's like right around the corner. <laughs> it is. Yep. I've I've booked the day off work. Sweet. Yeah. Um February 9th. Oh, what? Oh shit. Oh. <laughs> yeah. God damn it. PlayStation 4. February. February 9th. 9th. <laughs> yes american date formats tripping me up there uh sam did you do your homework what is my homework uh i asked you to listen to a song oh fuck <laughs> no i completely forgot okay do you want to do it now let's see i just made sam listen to matt willis don't let it go to waste uh as a as a pop enthusiast to say the mm-hmm. least sam i thought you might appreciate this song what are your first impressions of this very 2006 <laughs> right if i were to draw analogies to the track it sounds uh like something very remnant of that time which is like stereophonics right maybe even the song is very similar to one of my favorite aerosmith songs don't want to close my eyes which is amazing yeah um but yeah it's a good track yeah you're right this came out 10 years ago 2006 um for me i was I was when I first heard this, mm-hmm. I was convinced this was going to be like the the Robbie Williams Angels right. of the mid two thousands. You know, which is super strange. You talk about that song because I actually watched the video of that last <laughs> night for <laughs> no some way. strange reason. This the procrastination kicking right. in, right? You know why? It's because you were, you were talking about um, I think Jason Orange in one of the episodes, <laughs> and I wanted to look him up, and then I looked up. One of my favorite Take That tracks, which is How Deep Is Your Love? Did you ever watch the video of that? I can't remember specifically what the video is for that, no. So it's about this crazy woman that locks them all up in the basement. Okay. <laughs> I don't remember that. <laughs> but then, you know, like I got to browsing around and uh, led to Robbie Williams' Angels. Anyway, back to your story. Yeah. So, Well, no, because I was convinced. Like, I was like, this, this is so much better than Robbie Williams' Angels. This is going to be huge. This is going to be massive. And right. of course, it went nowhere and just flopped there's a bit in the song where he kind of sounds like cartman <laughs> where he's like yeah his 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 voice was never his strongest suit <laughs> don't let it go to you know like he kind of when he like sort of grunts down it <laughs> yeah <laughs> yes yeah because he came out of the pop band busted uh, and he was the bass player for that. So he never really had to sing too much. <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's a solid track. It's definitely a solid track. Yeah. I kind of want to start a campaign. Ten years, it's his 10-year anniversary. <laughs> I want to start, start a campaign to get it to number one. <laughs> <laughs> one should not let this song go to waste. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, see? Oh, my God. It works on so many levels. So, uh, dear listener... Please go listen to Matt Willis. Don't let it go to waste. (laughs) And we're going to try and get him to number one. He does sound like Cartman, though. I had a broccoli hot dog. Ah, you and your broccoli.